You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing podcast. And now here are your hosts, CC Broadus. Final furlong to go, Agastaki. Here's Native Ruler. Native Ruler now powering to the front. Agastaki is game up the inside. Kasha Electronica third. And deep stretch, it's Native Ruler. Native Ruler and the Don Bernhardt. Alan Schneider. Summer Doldrums with the lead by a length and a half, 40 grams, lunging at that one on the outside, but it's Summer Doldrums in front of the Presque Isle Mile. And Brandon Jaggers. As they got one furlong to go, and it's shared sense striking the front and has a lead, but Major Fed is surging late on the outside up in the second deep stretch. Shared sense wins the Indiana Derby. Okay, we've got about nine days to Kentucky Derby 126, excuse me, 146, and eight days to Kentucky Oaks 146. This is the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, episode number 16, and joined as always by Alan Schneider. How's it going, everybody? We're really, really getting close now, down to the nitty gritty. And Brandon Jaggers. Just in time, my refund for my derby tickets came in the mail today. I'm very thrilled. And right before the great derby week, uh, so I can play it all back on the cards. There you go. And I wanted to ask you, Brandon, uh, I guess this is now uh, as good a time as ever. Uh, Could you spot me maybe like three or $4,000? With the appropriate (laughs) interest rate compounding daily, sure. Well, there's no guarantee that it'll come back to you. I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, your signature is a good guarantee. Oh, boy. Okay. Whatever you say, pal. Uh, let's get on to the, the Kentucky Derby. Uh, let's just talk about some quick notes. Not a whole lot has changed, uh, especially with the big contenders. I think Authentic had a, had a big workout today in California. Worked a mile in about 138. Uh, but uh, just a few quick notes here. Dr. Post is on the fence as of now. Todd Pletcher went on record saying that his horse may go to the Jim Dandy or the, uh, the Jim Dandy at Saratoga and then on to the Preakness after that. Alan, I'm sure you're not a not a fan of that. I know you're a big fan of this horse. Yeah, I know. You said it started growing you a little bit, too. It seemed like the way the Derby field was shaping up, that horse could could have made a could have made a run for the, the try of the Super at the very at least. So I'm a little disappointed. I can kind of see why they might think Preakness because the horse does seem to have like a that quick acceleration, which might work better at a shorter distance. But I'm a little bummed that they're not they're not going. He would have definitely been somewhere on my tickets. Also, Rushy from the Mike McCarthy barn is more likely for the Pat Day mile. So th- there's a chance uh, we may not even get a full field this year, which might be somewhat of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's two from the Pletcher barn that were on the also eligible list uh, as of today, uh, money moves and, uh, uh, the, the other horse who's escaping my mind, but it happy looks like saber, happy, happy saber. saber. Yeah. I, I haven't heard any word on whether or not they're going to try to get in or not. So, um, but anyway, uh, also, uh, confirmed by Dale Roman's attachment rate is going to run in the Kentucky Derby. He just finished second in the Ellis park Derby. Behind the the second choice, Art Collector. Uh, Brandon, I don't think there was any doubt that this horse was going to go if Dale Romans had anything to do with it. Yeah, Dale, you know, he's he likes to shoot for the big spotlight. 
I think the horse is, is a good looking horse, but you know, with Dr. Post on the fence, I'm, I'm shocked by that. I didn't even hear that today. Uh, but you know, I put Dr. Post as maybe a top six, top seven out of that field of 20, but yeah, t- attachment rate in, uh, you know, he's got a shot, I guess. I just, now I got to go back and really handicap that horse. As CC likes him. Yeah, I think he's got a shot to hit the board. I do too. Uh, I, you know, bit, yeah. I, I don't think he can win, but you know, uh, he 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 ran a big race at Ellis Park, so I think you know he's got a shot to maybe get third or fourth. No no doubt about it. Uh, I was freaked out a little bit this morning uh, when Swiss Skydiver came out onto the track during the uh, the 15 minute uh, Derby Oaks training period, and she was wearing the yellow. Kentucky Derby saddle cloth rather than the pink Oaks towel. I, as it turns out, I think McPeak was just playing with us a little bit. I think they're going to, uh, they're going to auction that Derby saddle cloth off for charity a little bit later. But uh, guys, is there still, is there any chance that Swiss skydiver might call an audible and they run her in the Derby? You know, he's been playing some games on Twitter the last couple of days. McPeak has, and which is great considering the morals, a uh, feeling of on Twitter sometimes, whatever. So it's nice to see a little lighthearted behavior. Uh, I think he still goes in the Oaks. He could be just playing one big long game. Um, I think he goes in the Oaks. It'd be interesting. He went in the Derby. I mean, the horse looked good enough last time he could do it. But she could do it, but I'll expect to see her on Friday. Yeah, yeah she stay. She stays Oaks. It's, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule her out for a Breeders' Cup. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So our, our guest today is uh, a track announcer, uh, one of my favorite track announcers, Bill Downs at uh, Indiana Grand. Uh, I'd like to have a, just a short discussion here. I, for me, I think track announcers, good track announcers are what got me into the game initially. And I'm thinking of guys like Tom Durkin, Dave Johnson, uh, those guys with their theatrical calls of big races that, that, you know, it, it kind of stoked the flame for me a little bit. In addition to the competition themselves, the guys, uh, who are your, besides our guest, who, who is, who would be at the top of your list of uh, favorite track announcers? Um, you know, well, obviously Bill Downs, um, not just saying it cause he's on the show. We, we really appreciate the work he does obviously, but I've got a list of guys and probably not, uh, the, typical guys people think of I, someone i really like is john john g dooley who uh a very distinctive voice uh slightly colorful calls without being over the top uh, he, he he's the caller at uh fairgrounds at arlington uh obviously jason beam does a really nice job it's a shame the colonial downs meet got cut short uh pete aiello at gulfstream does a really good job i think very descriptive throughout the race uh doesn't mind to tell a story and i think i think he's underrated nationwide and he only works a few weeks a year, but Kurt Becker is a very matter of fact, uh, very solid announcer and, and on the money at, at all times. And of course, I'd be remiss uh, not to uh, mention the guy that I grew up listening to, uh, Mike Battaglia. I know he's probably not held as one of the, the great announcers of all time, but I mean, I listened to him for 30, 40 years, and that's what, who I think of when I think of announcers. So that would be my list right there. Yeah, one note on Battaglia, I, I'm like you. I grew up with him at Churchill. He made the race sound exciting. You know, he, you know, he he didn't just call the race, but it, you know, it felt like 
he had something riding on the race too. And I appreciated mm-hmm. that. You know, he, he could turn a, a nickel claimer into, in, you know, into a really exciting stretch. Gaining ground on the outside. Yep. That's, that's him. Uh, I, I, always, <laughs> I always enjoyed him. Uh, what about you, Brandon? You know, it, it, you're right. It's like, who did you grow up with and who did you like really start to find an affinity towards? And, uh, and maybe maybe it was when I was uh, just kind of rounding out college at UK, but Kurt Becker, uh, for sure, uh, a few others, you know, Tom Durkin, obviously, and Larry Colmus, you know, and Bill. But you know, Kurt Becker's. Yeah, I mean, he's I only, really I only good. Play You're it right about that. Year. He's really good. You know, when it's like Arlington Millions Day, I just you know the 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 sound of their voice goes with the track. And that's kind of what I always seem to follow and remember about specific places. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I love Church, you know, Churchill Downs, but it's just not that that unique to me. So, uh, you know, the the guys I already mentioned were really kind of my favorites th- through the years. He he makes a good point though. Uh, it really does the uh, the voice. Sometimes you you liken the voice of the racetrack. I, when I think of Arlington, I think of John G. Dooley's voice. When I think of Keeneland, I think of Kurt Becker's voice. When I think of Indiana Grand, I think of Bill Downs' voice. So I agree with him there. That, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, Kurt Becker takes the lead. It, it just matches that track. I, and then you can't get a better pairing. It's like having a good wine with a steak, you know, or a bourbon. <laughs> it just depends your pleasure. <laughs> there you go. So when I think about my track announcers, uh, I kind of look at it like a pyramid, you know, for me, Tom Durkin's at the top. He's, he's the Dean of all track announcers that have ever lived. And then you go down the further mm-hmm. down the pyramid, you've got Trevor Denman, uh, who, who called California racing for years. And he took a year off this year. Hopefully we'll be back at Del Mar next year. Uh, Dave Johnson, who, you know, called most of the races on ABC for years, most of the Derby or the triple crown events. And then of course, Chick Anderson, uh, who probably delivered the greatest call of all in the 73 Belmont. Uh, then you go further down the list. I mean, guys like, because he's been retired several years. I, I always liked Dan Loisel at Woodbine. Uh, he had a really, really cool voice. Guys overseas like Ian Bartlett and Richard Hoyles. I really appreciate Richard Hoyles' calls if you can find him on YouTube or something like that. I wish they'd kind of bring him over, maybe let him call a Breeders' Cup at some point. Of course, we got a guy here that's really good. Travis Stone does a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Paul Allen at Canterbury. Uh, he's a little wacky sometimes, but he's got a great voice. I, I think he, he moonlights at Canterbury, and his main job is uh, to call uh, Minnesota Viking football games. So, But, uh, guys, what, what makes a good announcer? It's a combination of things. It's a kind of a fine line, I think, between obviously having accuracy, really accuracy, but you want to find that right balance between being no nonsense and entertaining. It's kind of a fine line some guys can and can't do, it seems like. And I think you also want to be able to see things that the average Joe Q public doesn't see. Did, did this horse check? Is is a this jockey have a tight hold on a racehorse? Is somebody keen uh, on the backstretch? There's things like that I appreciate. Uh, sometimes I know things, sometimes I don't. And I like I like the announcers that can point out those little uh, little things like that. In addition, obviously, they're being accurate. So kind of what I look for. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Alan. I like the race, uh, the callers, just nomenclature, you know, just knowing horse racing and like how their hands, if they're on the bridle, if they're ranked. 
you know, saying those things as they're getting through the race helps kind of really describe it. And, but, and then also I like having an elevated tone as the, the race is, is finalizing. I think yeah, that's, yes, that's yes. exciting. You know, sometimes you can't really dial up the excitement if the horse wins by 20 lengths. I mean, you can, you, they really just comment about it, a widening margin, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I, you know, those little things and, and just them knowing horse racing and, and knowing some of the, the nomenclature. So yeah. I like it. What I appreciated about Tom Durkin, he, he had the ability to make you believe that the race you're watching was the most important thing to ever take place in the history of mankind. If you watch some of the Breeders' Cups of old back in the 80s, I think that's when he was at his peak. You know, watch the 87 Classic or, or Personal Ensigns, Distaff, 89 Breeders' Cup Classic between Sunday Silence and Easy Goer. I mean, those are... Uh, he he was at his very very best describing those races and then and he made them more more exciting than they than they were and they were already you know just unbelievable contests so our next guest is in my opinion one of the best at his craft in the country he's currently the track announcer and morning line maker at indiana grand racetrack and casino in shelbyville indiana prior to that he served as the announcer at tracks such as arapahoe park river downs Presque isle ellis park and beulah park in addition, he's also called races at Churchill Downs and Arlington Park. While wearing many hats at that racetrack, our guest is also an astute handicapper, and we're excited to get a chance to chat with him this evening. We'd like to welcome to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast for the first time, Mr. Bill Downs. How you doing, Mr. Bill? Hey, guys. How are you? Hey. So, Bill, I'm going to give you the best compliment I can, uh, I think, for a track announcer. In my opinion, I, I would watch any racetrack where you were the track announcer, because I think you make the races more exciting. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, to me, like, like we talked about earlier, I think track announcers actually got me into the game because they make the races so much more exciting. Uh, then, you know, uh, they're already exciting to begin with, but I think a, a really good track announcer can, can enhance the experience. So just, just, uh, just my personal perspective and i've been in the game for about 30 years now i think i think you're one of the best so th th that is my compliment to you well thank you very much i do appreciate it i you know the one thing i think i got going for me is that i play the races probably as much as all the people that are watching indiana grand so mm -hmm. i i feel like i kind of know what what betters want what handicappers want and you know it's uh something i've been doing for you know i, th I was just thinking back uh you mentioned arapahoe park and that was my first professional announcing job back in 1999 is when mm -hmm. i started there i was actually going to start at rio doso and and then they called me about a week before the meet and said uh, that i couldn't be the announcer for some strange reason i have you know still to this day i don't know the exact reason but uh, arapahoe park needed an announcer and i went to arapahoe park and it was uh, it was probably for the best because uh um arapahoe is just outside of uh, denver colorado and denver colorado is just an incredible city so i got to spend you know three years at arapahoe park and then uh, got going at at uh, beulah park uh, back in their heyday uh, with the Beulah Twins and, oh, yeah. and all that, and man, that was that was a lot of fun uh, living outside of uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I was there right up until the end of uh, 
of uh, Beulah Park. And then, of course, they moved that up to, to Youngstown and Mahoning Valley. And then I was at Presque Isle. You mentioned River Downs for a couple of years. And then I was at Ellis Park after Presque Isle Downs, after uh, Luke Kreibos passed away. Luke and I were really good friends. And it was just kind of like, well, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, Kentucky finally got that into racing probably a few years later. Um, you know, Ellis kind of shrunk down to like 27 race dates. It's a little bit more now. But um, once the opportunity came uh, in 2000, this is my eighth year. So 2011. Yeah. Um they said they asked me to come over here to Indiana Grand, and, and, the, and what they were doing was taking all the thoroughbred races from Hoosier and Indiana Downs and moving them all to Indiana uh, Grand or Indiana Downs at the time. And it sounded like a great opportunity, and here I am. It's my eighth year. So besides your current gig in Indiana, what uh, which of your old which, which of the old tracks that you called races at? Which one of those was your favorite? Well, they're all my favorite because if you're going to be paying me to go to the races uh, every day, that's 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 a good thing. Um, you know, Ellis is I, I had really enjoyed my time at Ellis Park. Um, I, you know, I always had to kind of travel in and travel out. I was based out of Columbus at the time. So that's like a five hour drive. Uh, but, I, you know, I got to stay there during during the actual racing week, if you will. And then I, I, I traveled out. So I loved it. I like Alice Park because the, the the booth is really high up. There's nothing in the way. And yeah, so I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Alice Park a lot. Um, Presque Isle, I was barely there for. But, you know, they opened up the, the, the season or the racing there. They had like that fall meet. I don't know if you guys remember. It was like Keeneland, if you will, for like a month. They had insane purses and they mm-hmm. everyone sh- yeah, everyone showed up, and and so then right after that, I started my my first full year at Presque Isle, and then Luke passed away. So, and I had to tell them those that was not a fun conversation to tell to tell them that I was that I was leaving uh, for for Ellis Park because, um, you know, I don't I don't like leaving in the middle of a meet, but so, you know, th- those were you know circumstances that were uh, unique, no doubt about it. Um, so, uh, you know, Beulah gets a lot of flack, but it was, it was still a lot of fun. Um, you know, you, the only thing about Beulah is we would be running a lot of times in the, in the dead of winter. So that doesn't make things mm-hmm. as, uh, as much, much fun. River Downs was, was, was cool as well. The old River Downs grandstand, that was a, a really cool announcer's booth as well. I think, uh, all the announcers over the years, uh, that talked about the announcer's booth at the old River Downs was, was great. And I and I can't disagree on that. So, you you know, any place that gives me gives me money to call the races, then that's a good thing. But uh, I guess there's a quick rundown. And of course, Churchill, Churchill, you know, I got to call uh, in 2014. Uh, Larry Colmus was the announcer at Churchill, and he was also NBC announcers. So. You know, you might say, well, why can't he do both? Well, you know, you have a lot of meetings when you do TV and they needed a backup announcer in essence. And then there was the year that they started that the big board and they did this whole big production and they wanted someone there for the entire week. And so they asked me to come down there and I got to call um, eight races on Kentucky Derby week, including the last two races on Kentucky Derby Day. 
Wow. And, and so even though you know a lot of people are filing out, I you know, I get done and Larry's Larry's like, uh, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, remember. I like, look out there. You know, I've been there the whole week, but it's like it's the crowd is just gigantic. And you know, I'm just thinking about this year and in, in about a week where there's not going to be anybody in the infield and they're going to run the derby. And it just seems like it's so surreal to me. Uh, but that was that 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 day, that whole week was 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 incredible. So um, and then, of course, Larry went to Naira right the year after. They don't need a backup. And I got consideration for Churchill, but they gave it. Yeah, you know, Travis Stone does a pretty damn good job. So especially with the Derby, I think his Derby calls have been uh, as good as anybody over the years. Uh, so it's not like I, I lost to somebody who was. Uh, who's not any good. He's, he's right at, right there at the top. So, Hey, going back to river downs, I, I never got a chance to go up there, which is just ridiculous since I live two hours away from Cincinnati. I did get to go to Belterra and over the summer and I, or last, last summer. And I loved it. What, what was, what was the atmosphere like at river downs? I guess it was sort of like a, you know, a little bit of a country fair atmosphere. You know, literally you could drive your car up to the, up to the rail, up the stretch. And a lot of people just kind of hung out uh, out there in the parking lot. I remember every day just kind of looking out there. Like, well, there's some people out there today. And, it, you know, the turf course was, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed the, the turf racing there. It was like the first time I got the call. Because, because Beulah Park doesn't have it. Well, they had a turf course way back in the 70s or whatever. But um, and I've never seen a race. I never saw a video of a race at Beulah Park. And it literally was might have been like a half mile turf course. Uh, I still would love to see a, a turf a video of a turf race at, at the at Beulah Park, whatever else they called it back in the day. But that, that was the first time I got to call turf racing at uh, at River Downs. Of course, I grew up in Chicago, and you know Arlington is was is my track and and all that, and uh, you know plenty of turf racing. But as an announcer, you know Rappel Park didn't have a turf course, Beulah Park didn't have a turf course. So that was my first. Uh, first racetrack that had uh, grass racing and it's it's a bit different because you can't you can't give up uh the binoculars until they get really really close to the finish line where with the dirt racing with if the dirt track is on the outside of the turf where it is everywhere except what woodbine um you can you can put your way you can put away your binoculars like at about the eighth pole but with with turf racing you got to stay with it um inside the 16th pole and then you you know if you know what you're doing then you can put them down but um that you know it's a totally different uh, ball game call on the turf racing because you know di- you know the margins are usually a little bit uh, closer in the end and 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 a lot of things happen uh, especially you know on the turn and, and trips are so important so it's it's a big difference that calling turf racing as opposed to dirt racing and river downs was the first place that i learned uh, how to call uh, turf races Speaking of great turf racing, let's talk about Arlington a little bit. Uh, like most of, like most of us, I think your father had a lot to do with uh, you getting involved in the in the uh, horse racing business. Uh, any certain memories or, or stories that you could share with us about your times at Arlington, especially with your father? Oh yeah. Um, for those who don't know, my dad was he. One of his nicknames was the the mayor of Arlington. Everyone knew my dad, and my dad wasn't a you know wasn't a horseman. Um, at all, he was just a racing fan. Later in his life, he uh, he owned a you know small, very small pieces of, of a few horses. The best one was an Illinois bred called Taylor Madison. 
who uh, well, yeah won a few stakes races, won a couple down at Tampa Bay Downs and all that. But my my dad just loved horse racing. He went uh, every year. Yeah, he has a had a friend right who had who, they they went down for the Derby. So it was him and three other guys, and they went they went down to the Kentucky Derby all the time. Um, so that's you know that he he loves horse racing. So I grew up in Chicago. My dad uh, would take me out to the racetrack when I didn't have like little league or whatever I had going on as a kid. And one of our favorite horses was John Henry. And my dad worked for the airlines. He worked for Continental Airlines for a long, many, many decades. And so he could go anywhere like this, a snap of a finger. If there was a spot on a plane, he could go anywhere. And so the year before we went to Santa Anita and I remember it to this day, we went to Santa Anita. The whole purpose was to bet for my dad to bet John Henry in the Santa Louis Ray handicap. And I remember the three horses that I played that 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 weekend. That was the just some regular horse named uh, Garden Setting who paid seven eighty to win. My dad would give me one two dollar bet each day. And then there was a horse called the Carpenter. I uh, was trained by Proctor Willard Proctor. They finished second. And then John Henry in the in the Santa Louis Ray won. And he paid fifteen eighty to win. My dad and my I, my dad. I never seen my dad so happy. He was he was just <laughs> he was just grinning from ear to ear. And so here comes John Henry the next year coming out to Arlington. And we were I remember to this day I know exactly where we kind of were at watching the watching the race and uh, and I remember Phil George Jeff's call and he kind of would. You know, he was sort of saying it was John Henry, but, uh, you know, NBC was kind of saying it was the Bart. But uh, John Henry got the nose down that day. And, uh, you know, I, up until I started uh, um, my I guess my uh, when I moved out of Chicago, I was at every Arlington Million for like the first uh, first 15 or so. We even went up to Woodbine up, oh, up wow. in Toronto. We went up for the for that million as well when Mill Native won that one. So, um you know, the Arlington Million is a special, special race, and Arlington is is certainly uh, uh, very near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I'm kind of hearing they might they might allow a very limited number of people, racing fans, into the track. And, you know, I, I'm very cautious with the, with the pandemic, but, you know, it would, everyone would be outside. They would, you know, you would they, they have would have strict social distancing. You know, with everything that's happening with Arlington, I might actually have to show up there one more time and uh, take in a, an afternoon of the races. And it's good because, you know, really there's no two of the three days that they're running is there's no Indiana Grand. So it could work out. <laughs> yeah, the, the number I was hearing was 300. They're going to allow 300 patrons possibly into Arlington. So that's good. That's I mean, at least we're making progress, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull a. I will might pull on an arm or two uh, if to make make it to be one of those 300. So, <laughs> right, absolutely. So, uh, uh, Bill, what's uh, in your mind? What's the most important race you've ever called? Um. Okay. So, what is the best, the biggest race I've called, or is it the best horse that I called? Well, let's answer both. <laughs> okay. I mean, the Indiana Derby is 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 got to be right up there. I mean, you know, Presque Isle, they had the Masters, and I was only there for one, so I, I, I don't want to say that. You know, and then at Ellis, it was, uh, you know, before it was called the Group B Dow, it was the Gardenia, and 
And Groupie Doll actually won the Gardenia one year. It was her first stakes win before she went on to win all those big, big, huge races, Breeders' Cup included. I so, was there. You know, yeah. 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 So Groupie Doll's right out there. And, of course, uh, the, the the freak show Run Happy uh, ran a race at, at Indiana Grand uh, on his uh, campaign when he he won the Breeders' Cup sprint. He's got to be right up there. You know, there's some um, – there's, uh, you know, Monomoy Girl won uh, her maiden race at Indiana Grand. Um, oh. I do remember that. Um, you know, there's been a lot of really incredible horses that have have, have run at Indiana Grand. I, I think Zulu Alpha, you know, he's he, he won his first couple races at Indiana Grand. Um, Twilight missing, Eclipse? Yep, Twilight Eclipse as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... It's it's a it's a fun track because you never know what you're going to get uh, in some of those uh, races and you know uh, I think that the two-year-old racing's gotten a bit better the, here in the last couple of years um, so I like that like to see that as well and you know we get good participation from from some of the bigger trainers and Amos and Cox and you know Yasmussen's there all the time yeah, not all the time but he's he's got horses there he won raced um, on the Thursday card uh, so yeah there's a lot of big names that uh, it, you take a look at the uh, past performances each and every day there's sure there's a lot of Indiana based trainers uh, but the Indiana bread program is uh, improving as well um, quite a bit um, I remember seeing some some you know ownership that you'd see in grade one races they're not, they're now owning Indiana breads uh, so that was, you know, that's another positive about the program. So Indiana Derby and the Gardenia are probably in. And, then, you know, I guess just because it was Kentucky Derby Day, those those last two races uh, were as uh, big of uh, two races I ever called. And then, of course, at Arlington, the race that I got to call there in honor of my dad. I mean, that was right. Right. that was that was something else. I don't know how I got through that race. Yeah, I can, I, mm. I can imagine. Hey, Bill, uh, uh, besides the fact that you're a great track announcer uh you're also an astute handicapper i've got a really stupid question for you uh how do you play other tracks while you're calling the races in indiana how do you handle that i i if it was me i'd be playing every track in north america and then trying to memorize these horses names for the race (laughs) coming up how do you handle that Or, or do you do you you know avoid that and maybe play the races on the weekends Yes and no. I mean, it's great now because I can really kind of I can block everything out because we're running Monday through Thursday. And even though, you know, Saratoga runs today, for example, Saratoga ran, ran uh, this. Uh, when we're taping this. It was uh, they ran Thursday afternoon. It was off the turn. So I, I didn't have to even look at anything like that. Um, but there's times when, you know, they, they do overlap. Um you got to make sure, you know, it, time management's important, you know, and also I got, I, you know, I, I do the morning line, I write program comments. So therefore huh. yeah, I got a lot of stuff going on myself. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, every day, except uh, it, right now with the current schedule, the only day that I don't have entries um, and, you know, PPs to look at it, uh, the only day is Monday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I got morning lines and program comments to write for, for next week. Um, so that kind of takes up my time as well. Um, you know, when, uh, we ran on Saturday evenings, um, you know, Delmar kind of goes coincides with our, with our, with our card. 
So therefore, uh, you know, I would kind of play Del Mar and all that. And then that was because there was really nothing going on. I didn't have any, you know, I would, whatever thing I had to do on Saturday morning line or program comments, I, I got them out of the way on Saturday so early. So I could sit there and just call the races. And if I wanted to play Del Mar, I, I would take a look at it as well. So yes, I do play during the races, but you know, you got to manage it properly as well. Brandon, you hey, have questions? Yeah. Hey Bill, this is Brandon Jaggers. Thanks for Hi, coming Brandon. on tonight. Uh, yeah, I actually visited uh, Indiana Grant a couple weeks ago for the listed stakes. We have a filly with Brad Cox, and she ran on the turf, and I think the turf was yielding that day. And uh, there were the, we were the first uh, filly race to get on that, that turf, and unfortunately we didn't do too good, and it was pretty soggy. She didn't really like it. But anyway, I had a great experience up there. I think uh, your partners up there, Rachel and Nancy, are super nice. I got to speak with Nancy at, at, at length you know, before our race, and just very welcoming. The place is very clean. Social distance that is great. Every you know everything was spaced out, so I just had a really nice time. And just want to mention that. But you know, I, I was thinking, you know, when you're doing these races, like how do you do all this pregame homework? I mean, are you trying to do it the day of to memorize, you know, the horses' colors and names each race, or what do you do between that 20 minutes or so uh, between each race to kind of prep for the next? Sure. Um, in terms of handicapping, I probably start doing handicapping when I get the PPs six days ahead of time because I'm doing the morning line. I'm writing program comments. So I kind of know, you know, who's who's who in the race. And as I go throughout the day, uh, I might revise my line and, you know, uh, change. I might have a different opinion as I, as I'm looking at it more, I might take a look at a race or two. So I'm kind of doing the, like a, some video work, if you will, six days ahead of time. Now, in wow. terms of the, in, in terms of the announcing, it's, you know, the bigger races, I might do a little bit of prep work, um, you know, with, with the Indiana Derby, Indiana Oaks, I'll start once I find out who's sort of running, I might, turn on a race or two and, and jot down the silks just so I have them in the back of my head. But for the most part, 99% of the time, you know, I, I use crayons and I have a little program page that I can hold in one hand. I can hold my binoculars in the other hand. Yeah. And I, I write down, I have crayons and I have my own little system, whatever the jockeys are wearing. If it's a gray, I'll write in the, in the margin, gray horse. Um, if there's blinkers, I'll, a lot of times, uh, if if it, there's a lot of horses that have a similar silks, then it's important to kind of designate in your mind who's got what in terms of blinkers and all that. Wow. Uh, so that that's stuff that yeah, you know, when they're in the paddock, I might uh, I might step you know away from my morning line and program comments and take a look over the over to the paddock and see what uh, what the jockeys are. You know, it's not that bad at at Indiana, but. You know, the smaller tracks, you never know if the owner's silks are going to even show up. And a lot of times you use whatever mishmash silks that you, <laughs> yeah. you can find. But in Indiana, it's pretty good. I would say, you know, 85, 90 percent of the time, they'll, the the silks, the owner's silks will, will show up. Um, so that makes it a little bit easier. So I can kind of before the first race, I'll sit down and I'll take a look at all the silks you know, uh, for each race and I'll, I'll color them in. And if I feel fa fairly confident, I'll color them in. If I don't have, if I have a question, I'll just kind of leave it as is. And I'll just kind of, when they're in the paddock and the jockeys are kind of out there a little bit, then I'll, 
I'll fill in the blanks, if you will. And if I don't get, I don't have time for that when the horses are on the track, uh, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to to get the the final uh, colors on my program. So and then it becomes memory, memory, memory. Um, yeah. and, you know, the horses I've seen before, it's a lot easier. The the toughest the toughest uh, race to call, at least for me, is a field of 12 two-year-olds with you know, <laughs> 10 first-time starters. Yeah. That that's that's a challenge right there because I don't know the horses, yeah. and I might know some of the silks, but it could be you know it could be some people from Kentucky that or from Ohio that I I might not know. So that makes it a little more challenging um, when you got a you know a 12-horse field with all those uh, first-time starters, but. At the same time, I like having horse. I like having 10, 11, 12 horses as opposed to five or six, mostly because you know better business is uh, you know right. betting wise is you know, bigger bigger fields. But it's you know when you got 10, 11, 12 horses, the action just kind of calls itself. You don't really have to editorialize too much. You know you know otherwise it can get get a little a little dull. I you know I don't like you know five horse field. I don't I still don't want to call it you know first second third fourth fifth and do that 10 times i kind of like want to throw something i kind of do stuff to to not kill time but to make it flow a little bit better because there's not as much uh, movement in the field as opposed to a 10 horse race um no matter if it's sprint or route so um i do like the bigger fields yeah i mean i tell you it's a lot of homework i mean every day you make it seem effortless, but I know it, it takes a ton of time morning of in between the races to, to master all that. And you do it very well. So I want to say thank you because I enjoy listening to your calls and uh, you're a total professional, like, you know, CC said. So thanks. No, thank you guys. Uh, Bill, let's transition into next week's Kentucky Oaks and Derby. I, I'd like to hear your assessment of, she dares the devil's chances in the Oaks next week. You saw her in person uh, at Indiana Grand in, in the Indiana Oaks. What 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 are your thoughts on her? She could run. Um, you know, uh, I was I was a little skeptical before she she came um, to Indiana and but she did everything. Yeah, she was she's yeah. I think the Oaks is going to be a terrific race and there's some really nice fillies are going to be there, but you know, I, I, I was, she had an excuse in the fantasy stakes and then she won that Churchill optional claiming race. And I'm like, yep, I, you know, that's, that's, that's real good. And you know, she was a great stakes uh, winner and there was only one other, I think in that, in the race. So class wise, she, she stood out and you know, it was a pretty fast pace. Uh, on that day and you know 46 and one at at indiana grand even in a the the three-year-old philly our best race that that's motoring and she just sat right off of it and took over and it and was over at the eighth bowl and um yeah i mean i i, I could tell you that i'll i'll be using her <laughs> i'll in my bets that's for sure um what? and uh you know it you know I mean, Brad Cox has done a, a, an outstanding job, and um, we'll see. You know, mile and an eighth is, I guess, the next uh, big uh, test for for this filly. She's never been in a mile and an eighth, as I'm glancing at the PPs right now. Um, and she doesn't really have, you know, what you would call router breeding. 
So I guess that's a question mark as well. But she showed that she can, you know, she, you know, if it's a race that there's, there's no early pace, she can win. And, and, you know, she showed she could rate as well. And that was, that's what I took the most out of, out of the, the Indiana Oaks was the fact that it was a fast pace and she still finished. And that's, and that was, that was, that's a, a good compliment, I guess, for me. What about the duo of Major Fed and Necker Island? They finished second and third in the Indiana Derby. I don't know. I don't think they can threaten on the win end, but I certainly think Major Fed has a chance to hit the board. What do you think about those two? Yeah, you know, Major Fed's probably the yeah. I don't think he can win. He might be a horse to you know to throw in underneath. You know, I kind of want to you know, I always want to see post positions and, and stuff like that, and before I I I get into it, you know, committing to a horse. Um, you know, he had a lot go, going into that uh, Indiana Derby. He needed to, you know, in essence, finish in the top two to get in the field. And, you know, we didn't know at the time, you know, how many horses are going to go. You know, uh, usually it's a, it's a scramble to get in that. And we'll see if the, they get the full 20. I I don't haven't been reading the last couple of days. So forgive me if I'm not up on the on the on, you know, if we're going to get 20 or what we're going to get. But, you know, he's a horse that, you know, likes to come from the clouds and, and you know he's talented. He you know he kind of you know we he kind of you know after Louisiana Derby ran the Matt Wynn did nothing. So this was kind of like in a very important race for him because not only was he going for the Kentucky Derby spot, he, he, you know you want to set up and set yourself up for um, whatever races you're going to be running at. You know if he goes in the Preakness or or or, or whatever he's going to do after after the Derby and and it, he does belong in the race. I just don't, you know, the, the, the top three to me, you know, uh, our collector, Tiz Law and Honor AP are, the, the, those three horses are, to me, are are just standouts right now. And everyone else is going to have to prove it to me. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on uh, on the Oaks? Um, well, you know, I was just taking a look again, uh, just at the general PPs of, of the race and, uh you know, if the Baffert Philly goes, I mean, you know, she's she's been a freak show. Uh, so, I, you know, she's going to be really tough to beat. And um, I, I was just going I was going over. I, I wasn't like in love with most of the Phillies that I was looking at here. Um, so, you know, probably, you know, I, I, I mentioned the our Oaks winner, you know, the the. The Keelan Ashley winner was was nice, but you know it was a short field. You know, so I'm not I'm not I'm not married to her by any means. You know, Swiss Skydiver is if she's still going. Um, you know, Mile and Eighth is is a little bit of a question mark. I guess when you lose the art collector, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, yeah. So you know, Oaks is just kind of like one of those races where I'm talk to me next week. Um, and I would have a, I would have right. a lot more to, a lot more to say as opposed to the Derby. Derby, I kind of know everybody, and uh, even though I'm, I'm mentioning you know all three logical horses, <laughs> you know there's still ways to to make plenty of money on the Derby and finding that key long shot to finish second or third um, is is certainly a way to do it. Major Fed might uh, be that might be that horse. Alan, do you have any questions for Bill? Uh, yeah, I got a couple here. One's a, um, he kind of touched on a little bit earlier. 
I was going to ask you, like, what would be an announcer's arch enemy? I, I thought maybe a three-horse field might be part of it, but you, you kind of touched on it earlier. I was thinking more along the lines of weather, fog, driving rain, snow. What is what is just the worst thing to encounter for an announcer? Well, uh, if, if you ever watch uh, the Wire to Wire show that Rachel and, and I do in the first segment, anytime <laughs> that the rain comes up, I I get all squeak you know i always go oh no 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 rain there's not gonna be any <laughs> rain so i don't like rain because rain uh, makes the silks less visible yes and so uh yeah that's that's uh i can guarantee you if you were to talk to larry Comas or travis stone and you say uh there's going to be rain on Derby Day, they they start to cringe because that that's the last thing you want to do is the evasion of the mud people turning for home a field of 20 and they turn at the Churchill Downs. Uh, you're so high up and they turn right towards you, and you know you got a bunch of horses with uh, mud. Uh, it makes things uh, quite interesting to say the least. So um, you know at Beulah Park, I've called races and, and snowstorms. And I couldn't even see out the window. So I had to like open my window. Luckily, I was able to open my window because otherwise I would not have been able to even call the race. Um, So I called it, you know, snowstorms, you know, rain's no fun. And then short fields. Yeah, I don't you know. That's just a a personal preference as opposed to, you know, the kryptonite of of an announcer. Uh, But rain's got to be right at the top of the list. Yeah. Okay. uh if I'm not mistaken, aren't you a big Packer fan, a big Marquette Golden Eagle fan? Is, yes. You right? got, yeah. yeah, you got them down. Yeah, well, okay, I got a question for you because, you know, I'm, I'm a sports guy too. And around here, we like college basketball. So, real quick, yes. give me your favorite Marquette Golden Eagle, not named Dwayne Wade. You can't use Dwayne Wade. And your favorite Green Bay Packer, not named Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. Oh, um,. Let me think. Because you know, we we Louisville and Kentucky here, so we, we know a little bit about Marquette Eagle basketball. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. There's a there's a there's a couple. Uh, back when I was sort of still around, there was a forward by the name of Damon Key. He was a power forward, and he was the glue of the of of the teams back then. He was a who was a favorite of mine. Um, and then, uh, Dominic James, I guess is another, yeah. Um, he was from uh, Richmond, Indiana, which is on the Indiana, uh, Ohio border. And I'll give you a quick story about Dominic James. My, uh, well, uh, we went to, my dad and I went to a game. It was Marquette and Valparaiso. And it was at Valparaiso's home gym. So I was in Columbus at the time, and I drove up from from Columbus, and my dad met me in Valparaiso. Well, you know, it was it was probably Dominic James's best game as a Marquette Golden Eagle. He he scored like the last 13 points or something like that. Had an incredible game, single-handedly prevented Marquette from beginning upset at Valparaiso. And so I had to drive home that day and it was absolutely snowing. It was like a blizzard. I don't even know how I got home that day because I should have ended up in a ditch. Mm -hmm. Uh, But years later, Dominic James is at Arlington Trackside and my dad recognizes him 
and goes up to him. He's like, aren't you Dominic James and Marquette? And he's like, well, yes, I am. And, you know, they, and they got into a, a great conversation and he, and he was so nice to my dad and my dad you know, remembered it. Uh, you know, always talk highly about, uh, about Dominic. And so I guess, you know, Dominic James is, is uh, another one right there. Tony Miller, um, point guard who I, uh, he, he was uh, really, really good. He, he led Marquette on uh, one of their tournament runs. Uh, so he was a point guard um, from Ohio, but he was another guy uh, that was, I guess, fond of, of, of – I was fond of him at Marquette and his play. Uh, Packers-wise, um, the first one would probably be James Lofton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, receiver um, before he went to the, the Raiders and all that. But uh, James Lofton, um, you know, Reggie White. I mean, that's that's kind of yep. a no-brainer. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, my dad and I got to go to that Super Bowl. Oh, was really? Like, yeah, that was like a dream of, of I always with my dad. I was like, you know, my dad would always tell me about the, the Lombardi days. And I'm like, Dad, next the next time the Packers get to the Super Bowl, we're going. And I, I always told him that. And I'm like, I don't care. I'll, I'll find a way to pay for it. Don't, you know, you, you just make sure that you, you, you find your way down to wherever. And it was down in New Orleans. And uh, so Reggie White was just incredible that game. And, you know, Desmond Howard. Um, so it was, uh, those are any, any Packer member that's a Super Bowl team is uh is is a okay with me? Was Sterling Sharp on that team? Um, no, he was. Uh, he kind of started the, you know, the he was he had to play with a couple. I uh, I remember going to a Detroit uh, Detroit Lions uh, Packers playoff wild card game back in the day, and he was he was the he had a huge game and the Packers won if I remember. Yeah. Um, that game, but yeah, uh, not on the not on the Super Bowl team. Okay, Bill, uh, just got one last question for you. What's the protocol at Indiana Grand right now, as far as fans? I'm I'm really jonesing for some live action. Uh, what is it possible for somebody like me to get up to Indiana Grand and watch the races? Yes, it is. Um, if you're inside, you gotta wear masks unless you're actively eating or or drinking. Um, it's encouraged outside, uh, but, um, you know, it's, I guess it's up to you, but, uh, that don't, don't, that's not the official Caesars, uh, protocol, but, uh, I don't see, I, you know, the good news is, is that outdoors, Indiana Grant on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's not, you know, not a ton of people who are going to be there. So in essence, it's perfect because, you can you can social distance. I think they the first floor the OTB is open, but the, they call it the family section. And the, uh, there's another indoor area that's only open for to go to the bathroom. I think, um, but on the second floor it's it is open. Um, so you know it, the, the the crowds are are not that big that you're gonna you, even somebody who's gonna be a little hesitant. I think they would be quite pleased that they can kind of do their own thing and not really have to uh, be around too many people. Um, 
you know, it, you can use a self-service machine that probably helps even more. So you don't have to stand in line, but you know, the lines are, are distance and all that. So um, yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, interesting how it's all played out. We were not one of the last tracks, but you know, we weren't one of the first tracks that, that stopped that were back, but uh, here we are, um, you know, able to at least have fans. I think there is like a, there is like a, uh, capacity that they had even for Indiana Derby Day and they didn't even get, they didn't even get to that so um, if you're not going to get to that on Indiana Derby Day don't worry about it you'll you'll be able to get in uh, any day that you want to visit all right really cool well Bill we're very gracious that you took the time to talk to us tonight uh, this has been a real pleasure and I, I know uh, Alan and Brandon agree uh, no yeah Bill it, it, you know at some point in the future would you be willing to join us again yeah, absolutely, guys. All yeah, right, we well, love having you, Bill. I, yeah. If I could say it's it's like listening to a race right now because this is you know we're on audio and it's like listening to call a race. So that's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's almost like you can do voiceovers for commercials or radio or other things. So yeah, I, uh, I, one funny yeah, that's funny. I try to get into that, and it just they, they were like, oh, you probably be good for like this sort of. <laughs> genre of the voiceovers which i didn't think that was going to be the case and so it didn't like i was like all right and then i kind of never followed up on it because they were like oh you'd be good at this but you're probably not going to be good at this and i'm like okay um but uh yeah you know um you know the voice is just something that you're doing something every single day talking and you just just like anything it's a their, their voice is a muscle and if you're working your voice out if you will you're going to get better at it so i would like to think um over the years that i've gotten better with pacing and and you know diction and you name it and and so um thanks for that uh, for that uh, compliment as well well be sure to tell nancy and rachel we're coming for them next and then <laughs> yeah if we, if we get a chance yeah. if we get a chance we're gonna make it up there to shelbyville uh one day during the week uh, this fall, so uh, be ready for us, okay? Sounds good. Yeah, and there's right. some ha- Ham's beer around, too. I saw that little gag on Twitter oh, yeah. last that, week. That was so funny. That Yeah, that, that was uh, a, 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 res- a, use a wrestling term of work. That was, uh, <laughs> that, that was, that was uh, quite humorous, uh, that yeah. little story there, yes. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> All right, Bill. Well, thank you for your time, and, and we wish you luck the rest of the racing season and, and hope to hear from you soon, okay? Thank you, guys. All right, thanks. Bye. Okay, let's turn the page to Ellis Park, and we're going to cover the last four races, the, the, the late pick four, and this is the closing weekend of Ellis Park before Derby Week gets started, and it's a good card. I don't know what the weather's going to be like, so these picks are subject to change. But, uh, Alan, the, the first leg of the late pick four is an allowance optional claimer. Mile and 16th on the grass for Phillies and Mares. And the tepid favorite is the five-horse Joy of Treasure for Eddie Keneally, ridden by Brian Hernandez, Jr. I think that's probably one of the ones, but uh, interested in your opinion here. Well, if, if, if you have a strong opinion, I'm willing to uh, defer to you because I think this is a kind of a very evenly matched field. And again, as you said, we don't know what the weather's going to be like. I, I see it may be nice at Saturday, Saturday on Ellis. Uh, it may not. So I'll try to maybe give out a couple of off-track selections too, just in case. But uh, I, I think it's a very 
evenly matched field. I have a hard time coming up with anybody strongly. I guess I might lean to Delta's Kingdom. Uh, just from a slight class standpoint, I don't think this horse is anything special. But the numbers put her there. Um, you know, Kettle Valley and Teenage Kicks are in pretty good form. Uh, I think if the race were to come off, I think Rock and Ready, the, the two horse, could be a threat to go wire to wire, as well as Teenage Kicks would obviously uh, move up quite a bit. Um, I don't have a strong opinion. Uh, the turf selection for me would be Delta's Kingdom, but again, it's it's a tepid choice. Yeah, Delta's Kingdom, the thing about her, when she gets in her element and faces a little bit lesser, I think she does better. If you just right. look at her last... Her last three races, odds of 15 to 1, 10 to 1, 41 to 1. She really wasn't that competitive. You go back four starts back when she was 2 to 1, she actually won the race. And then you go further back, her last win before that, she was about 7 to 2. So I think she, she's in her element right here facing these types. And I think she's probably got a big chance to win here. So let's go to race 7. This is a maiden special weight for three years old and upward. And the favorite is All Eyes West for Brett Calhoun three to one on the morning line and gets Mitchell Merle to ride. And this will be the second start off the layoff for this horse. Where are you at here? Uh, I'm going to go with that morning line favorite. Uh, All eyes was for Brett Calhoun. Uh, uh, the horse show talent. We discussed this horse uh, a few weeks ago. Horse show talent at Monmouth and Gulfstream actually stakes place in a race against a couple of nice ones in Maru and I have seen on TV switch barns due to the Jason service problems. And uh, came back to Ellis and ran a really good second that last time out. Probably better than it looks because the winner's Cowboy Diplomacy, a Brad Cox horse who's a, a half-brother to a Monomoy girl. And actually beat a really nice Brendan Walsh horse that day. Stayed on the front end. I think the horse competes up close uh, throughout the race here. I think he's one of the ones that other Brad Cox horse in here, uh, like Nimrod, probably figures. But the interesting horse is totally Jimbo for Larry Jones because uh, it's an empire maker cult who only went for 15,000 in auction. And I'm guessing because he was gelded maybe because this horse is a, is a half brother to totally boss the really good rusty Arnold turf sprinter and uh, the Larry Jones horse that won the super Steve that won the, the smarty Jones last year, the rebel. Do you remember? C yeah, about 60 to one, 60 to one. So, it's only two siblings, so there's talent in the family. Makes you wonder why they uh, only got 15000 I'm guessing it's because it's a gelding, starting late in the meet. I mean, I would put it on a ticket. I still think that the Brett Calhoun horses is the one to beat, but, uh, you know, there's an X factor there for you and totally Jimbo. I agree with everything you said there. Let's go to race eight. This is allowance on the turf. Non-winners of two races for three years old and upward, the males. And... The favorite, morning line favorite again, is a tepid choice. Number six, Beau Luminary for the Rudy Brousset Barn, written by Juliet, Julian Leperu, shipping in from Saratoga, and hopefully trying the turf for the first time. What are your yeah. thoughts here? Yeah, I think this race comes down to the fact is Beau Luminary take to the turf, because if, if he does, I think the horse wins. And the horse has been knocking heads with some really good ones Uh Happy Saber, who we mentioned earlier, who just was very impressive at Saratoga last time. Uh, locally owned Alstall horse that's in good form, uh, overdiver. Uh, the horse has been knocking heads. Can I think it's a little interesting spot. They brought her down from Saratoga to run the turf at Ellis. I think that's a little unique. Makes me wonder a little bit. But particularly if this race does come off, Bolo Manera is definitively the one to beat at very low odds. 
Uh, I'd also say you have to give a nod to and a sight for Brad Cox in here. The horse's uh, flash talent last year has not lived up to that talent. If he was able to recapture that glory, he would he would figure here as well as perhaps um, the jury horse strike might have a bit of a chance in here. But if this race stays on the turf, Bolimanaire is a is is the choice for me. If the race comes off the turf, uh, Bolimanaire is a solid choice for me. The the Bill Bradley horse a little. Buff Bradley was a little interesting too, but I'll go Bolum in there. Yeah, the only problem, well, this horse has no turf pedigree at all. I want revenge. I know. It's, I think it's weird. Yeah, that, this is a strange choice. If this race does come off the turf, obviously this horse is going to be probably four to five. But I think there, you might look elsewhere. I'm, I'm I like Andesite a little bit coming out of the mm-hmm. stakes race. That's a pretty, pretty tough group he ran against last time. So. Outside of those two, there's not a lot in the race, so I, I, I don't know. Might have to go deep on your tickets here for sure to get out of this race if if Andesite doesn't get the job done, or, or same with Bo Luminary. Uh, and then we're gonna look at the last race. This is a maiden claimer, ten thousand dollar maiden claimer, mile sixteenth on the grass. And the morning line says there's a heavy choice in here with the nine horse Old Sot six to five on the morning line for Mike Maker and Florent Giroux. Horse ships in from Indiana Grand. Probably that race might win this, but uh, Alan, can can we beat this horse? Uh, this is a bad field. This is one of those uh, typical end of the meet ten thousand dollar route turf maidens at Ellis, where uh, guys are just trying to cash a check, or maybe some guys are emptying out their stalls. Because there's two horses in here. If you use both of them, you you should theoretically get through the race. Whenever you see that, I like to add a third, but uh, Old Sot. I, I prefer Queen's Empire. The Bill Mott horse for Best of Lou. He's made one start last year at Aqueduct. Straight maiden company. Now drops all the way to the bottom. They're just getting rid of the horse. Uh, if the horse has any talent, he he probably beats this bad field. I would use Queen's Empire. Old Sot is nothing special at all. But I guess those two have to be on your ticket. If you want a, a third contrarian one. I might use the six horse Wilshire Diamond for Gary House and Calvin Brill. He's actually split the field the last two times at this level with an apprentice named Tiago Canuto. He gets an upgrade to Calvin Burrell today, so the horse might run a little better with Burrell and does not have to beat much to factor. So I'm not going to pick a horse to win. I'm just I would just use Queen's Empire, Wilshire Diamond, and Old Sot. Maybe if the race came off. You might want to consider ugh, just gun it, maybe. <laughs> fast recovery. If the race comes off, fast recovery probably figures fairly well, too. So, But, yeah, this is just, you know, hold your nose and try to get through the race. If uh, if the races stay on the turf on Saturday and we're playing the late pick four, who is put your potential single in the, la- in the sequence? Bolumanaire. If the races well, if the races come off, it's definitely Bolumanaire. If I had to come up with a single even on the turf, I might I would have to consider I would have to consider Bolumanaire. I know it's a bit of a reach because I, I, I hate saying that because I think the placement of the horse in this in this sequence is weird. But yeah. Do you have anything along those lines? No, I probably would go in the maiden race with the uh, the Calhoun horse. Yeah, that'd be the alternative right uh, yeah, race there. 
or maybe even old side. I'm not crazy about old side. I don't like seeing them in the last race anyway. But all, number uh, race seven, all eyes west, maybe. I don't know. It's I would I could maybe I could see that. I think that horse has talent. Yeah, he came out of a tough race last time too. So yeah, uh, let's look at Saratoga. Uh, Saratoga's got a big card. Four stakes races, in, including a couple grade ones. Uh, I want to talk about the third race real quick, the Saranac, which is a mile on the grass. Uh, the favorite is the the, the rail horse, Vansy, from Michael Pino, 7-2 on the morning line with Joel Rosario. But I want, to, I want to kick the tires on number six, Big Dreaming, for Wayne Catalano. This horse is undefeated in his last two starts, and, and he's got a bit of a following here in uh, locally. I think this horse might be up to the challenge here. I, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to single him in, the, in anything, but I, I'm definitely going to use it. And I think he's going to be a price in here, maybe 10 to one or so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, this is a horse to look at. He's got a great connections. He's son of declaration of war out of a uh, breeders cup juvenile Philly winner, dreaming Vanna, who's already produced uh, some nice horses, uh, including fast Anna. This one, uh, this horse is doing it on the turf where fast Anna was a, was a sprinter. So I think uh, I think this one's worth a look anyway. I agree. Uh, that's race three. Let's let's fast yeah. forward. Oh, CC, sorry, Brandon. I, give it. I think Don Juan Kitten's got a shot. You know, at four to one, number five. So those two are, are paired up next to each other. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I I, I like your angle as well. Uh, of note that Don Juan Kitten comes out of that race where the leader just sprinted away down the back mm-hmm. went 21 and four and Don Juan kitten was in the right sp- spot there as he made his move. And that was uh, Danny Gargan's first win of the meet. So he was ice cold prior to that. So this horse might be, uh, might be worth watching here in this spot too. Uh, let's go to race seven. This is the Amsterdam stakes and the eight to five favorite is Yapon for Steve Asmussen also ridden by Joel Rosario here. This horse is two for two in two starts. Uh, and just to his outside in the three hole is number, or is, is long weekend, nine to five for Tom Amos and Luis Saez. And it looks like to me there is a ton of pace in here, even though it's just. There a sure is. Yeah, there is. Ton of pace. And I think this might set up for uh, Brandon's favorite horse, Basin. That's right. Will, yeah, he'll be, he should be rolling late if, if this field just burns each other out. Uh, he, he, I mean, he, he will not get a better trip than this. I would imagine as uh, you know, there's probably three, there's four horses here that should vie for the lead. So, uh, interesting to see how this shakes out guys. You got any, got any comments on the, the Amsterdam stakes? Go ahead, Brandon. This is your baby here. Well, you know, I think basin's ready. I, I do think the competition, I don't necessarily like the post and the one hole there to sprint, but you know, it's so fast up front. I mean, I don't, you got to watch out for the five too. wonder where Craig is. So, Great you know, name. that horse is going to come blazing out at least the last time, but that, that track was uh, sloppy and sealed, but uh, just a ton of pace, but I think it's going to go one, two, three. That's definitely a trifecta box. I'd play them, you know, for even 50 cents, three bucks. It's not a lot. So it's worth something. You get some return of pace and wins. That is the you know, first Go ahead, Alan. I say, you know, it's interesting because now there's a there's obviously a trainer switch from Asmus and the Pletcher on base, and, and the horse reigns the last three races at nine furlongs. Doesn't just cut back; he cuts way back to six today. Mm-hmm. But 
ordinarily that that gives you a lot of pause. That's too much of a cutback. But this pace scenario, uh, he could really come flying late. Is it going to be enough at that? With cutting back that far, we'll see that. I don't have so I don't have a strong opinion here, but I will be interested to see how Basin finishes in this spot for Pletcher. And that's the first leg of the late pick five at Saratoga. Uh, the second leg of that pick five and the first leg of the late pick four is race eight. And this is the grade one Forgo stakes. And this this race came up loaded. I'm pretty excited about this race. And the, and the favorite on the morning line is our old favorite uh, Whitmore, who is seven to two on the morning line with Ron Moquette and ridden by Louis Saez. This horse was won over $3 million on the racetrack. He's 14 out of 35 lifetime, and he's never been worse than second in two starts at Saratoga. What do we do with this race, guys? Oh, uh, you know, it feels like Whitmore has 30 lifetime wins. It seems like I've, what we've seen him run every race is uh, at, at the age of seven. Uh, this, is, this is a loaded, wide-open race. Um, nearly every horse in this race can win. Uh, so when I see that, and I cannot come up with a, a solid – choice i start going pace scenarios uh price shopping which leads me uh, to a horse i don't think you care for much cc forense fire uh it's it's a stab um i'm i'm not sold on it. i'm not confident on it you know, of course this is obviously probably a spread race but if you make me pick a horse i'm gonna take a stab with forense fire just because last time i know he's in his fourth start for kelly breen after another you know jason service issue there um the horse has competed well in the past in these seven furlong races in new york and the last time against uh volatile we remember that race it was a in the ag vanderbilt there was two horses scratched the gate and it left volatile all alone on the lead who just walked the first quarter in 23 forense fire was the, out of desperation because somebody had to bid he bid and it cost him late. He was never going to get to the ball. So I can see what Ortiz did. It's somebody had to try. Maybe he has the ability to sit back this time and fire when he wants to fire. Again, he's going to be 11 or 12 to 1. That's the angle I'm coming up with here. Um, he switches to Junior Alvarado. Maybe they sit, and he doesn't have to move as prematurely this time. We'll see what happens. But I'll, I guess I'll side with Forenze Fire. Yeah, I, this this race was fun to handicap for sure. But if you all remember Whitmore, the last time he started, uh, I, you know, he broke through that gate before um, I mean, yes, before the race started. And I think there was another horse that even scratched. I mean, that race. Lexingtonian. Was, yeah. So, I, I, you know where I'm going. So I love Lexingtonian, too. So I, I want this horse to come back. I love 10 to 1 morning line. I'm putting him as my top choice. All right. uh, I followed that horse a ton. You know, beaten by the nose last time, I thought I had the win. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that this is just a great race. My hat's off to Whitmore. 35 career, you know, races. I mean, pound for pound, he's just a grinder of a horse. And to, to have the day that he had last time out at Saratoga, going through the gate and all the issues, and to actually close on the field uh, was surprising. That's not how he normally runs. So, uh you know, he had a lot of late pace for sure. So I, I'm definitely sticking with Whitmore, but I, I found a bomb here that I'm definitely going to play in all my exotic tickets. You can't say, you know, this horse has got a lot of uh, just flash on paper, whatnot, but I think he could be around in the end, and that's number five, True Timber. 
Kendrick Carmouche, Jack Sisterson. Uh, you know, none of the percentages are really flashy, be- beaten, but coming off a good layoff and coming out of Keeneland, uh, I'd like to see what this horse does. So that's really my my big long shot play. And then I also, so obviously I'm spreading in this race, uh, looking at win, 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 the number seven. Uh, yes. This horse has not cut back in a long, long time. And, you know, early early form back in, early, uh, you know, the one race in uh, 2019 in January, you know, it's given seven furlongs with some tough competition. I mean, that horse kind of ran great. And I think win, win, win could possibly close. Uh, but, you know, you know, we're looking for prices. It's an interesting race. It's very fun. So I can't wait to watch it. Okay. Two horses I just want to mention before we switch to the, the sword dancer is uh, the four horse funny guy. Uh, Joel Rosario rode Whitmore last time. Now he shows up on this horse. This is a New York bred who's won two in a row pretty fast in his last two starts. So you, you might give him a look. And then on the far outside, another jockey switch, Rad Ortiz left Frenze Fire. Now he's on the Chad Brown train Fortin Hill, who's won three of his first four starts. Last time he earned a 101 buyer. So he, he probably fits in this spot. It's just... It, for me, if it's not Whitmore, it's a bunch. So that's how I'm going to view it when I play my my exotics. Yeah, let's go to race nine. And this is the half-million-dollar sword dancer. It's grade one, mile and a half on the turf, on the inner turf at Saratoga, which usually lends to speed. But this is a, this is a confusing race to me for sure. Uh, guys, do you have anything that you want to you want to bring up here with the sword dancer? Oh, I'm, I'm like you. I think it's it's a it's a tough um, tough little haymaker of a race. Uh, of course, it's it's a bit of a carbon copy of the Bowling Green we saw a few weeks ago, where uh, Sadler's Joy was kind of controversially taken down. Uh, I don't know if it was controversial, but it was it was a it was a, a tough call. Um, so a lot of those same guys come back. I guess I will probably side with the quote unquote new shooter if we can use that term in this regard with Aquaphobia. For Arad and, and Mike Maker. Uh, I've always liked this horse. I think uh, Ornado Lacour used to have him. Uh, and it took a while for him to get really good. Of course, got to the Mike Maker barn, and as the distance has stretched out, he's starting to find his rhythm at the age of seven. Might be in a good spot to get another grade one win if he just come off a, a win in the United Nations in a grade one. I think the pace scenario might help him. It seems like uh, they've stretched him out to mile three-eighths, and uh, the horse responded. Um Again, I think a lot of the horses come out of the Bowling Green don't exactly thrill me. Uh, Sadler's Joy is going to figure again because Sadler's Joy always figures. But mm-hmm. I will take Aquaphobia with a with a lean here uh, as my top pick. This race is always hard. You know, going a mile and a half, some of these horses have never gone the distance. Uh, some have. Then you got, uh, you know, some uh, a horse. Uh, what was that horse that's shipping in out of uh is that Qatar? Qatar. Yeah, Pedro Cara. You don't know anything about this horse. I mean, you don't know what it could do. But, you know, it, it, it's been to the States once and, and almost won at, at, at long odds. So, uh, you know, I'm going to play it only because Johnny V takes them out in grand motion. I, I love Johnny V on the turf, and I know better never or to always include him, never exclude him. Uh, he's just a, a world-class, world-class jockey, but you know, I, I've always followed this Highland Sky horse, 
Junior Alvarado taking the uh, the one spot here at 12 to 1 morning line. So I'm including that horse. Alan, I'm totally with you with aqu- Aquaphobia. But if I really had to settle on some of the horses that I just mentioned, I mean, the Saddler's Joy finally get it done. You know, it's just always like in third or first on these big time races, on grade one races. It's just never in there out of Kitten's Joy. But it looks like this horse may pull it off. Uh, but there's just some big shooters that could come close. And so I'm going to go three deep here. Highland Sky, I'm going to leave Aquaphobia out. Uh, Pedro Cara, and then Sadler's Joy. All right. All right. Let's not leave out uh, number six, Cross Border. This is the second yeah. choice on the morning line. After the after he's put up on DQ in the Bowling Green last time, he, he's still undefeated on the Saratoga turf course. He's five for five. And five for oh. five. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's. He was kind of ranked in that race, I thought, early on. I was a little surprised he finished as well as he did because it looked like they were fighting him the whole way initially, and, uh, and he, he had a hard time getting into the bit, but uh, he still had, uh, responded through traffic. So, yeah, the horse has a big-time chance here. Don't get, cross-border is probably going to beat, again, Mike Maker. So uh, Mike Maker has a, a pretty loaded hand right here. Right, and you, you might want to give a nod to Marzo last time. I I don't know what, what to make of that effort last time. I know you liked him, Alan, but yeah. I mean, he, he said he – said, he got out there really, really fast early. Well, he's not real fast. He was, went 50 and one, 115 and three, but he had a five length margin uh, going down the backstretch. And but he he had nothing left. Uh, I don't know if this horse is going to be a pace setter or if you know he's got a legit chance to win. So I don't know. I don't know. That <laughs> better beware here. Yeah, That's this is another sure. maker. It's there's three maker horses in a Grade One turf marathon. So. Yep. I don't don't uh, don't sell them short. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so that wraps up episode 16 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. Uh, we want to remind you, the middle of next week, we'll have our uh, Kentucky Derby seminar and our Kentucky Oaks seminar, and we're going to try to put a lot of work in for you. We definitely invite you to listen in to both both of those podcasts. And we will do the best that we can for you. Uh, guys, you got anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, no, I just want to thank Phil Downs again for joining us. Uh, it's great to hear from him. And uh, looking forward to next week. This is kind of a, again, kind of a dead week. This is kind of a transition week until the real fun starts. And it's not just the Kentucky Derby to Kentucky Oaks. There's a lot of great undercard stakes, as there always is, during that week. So there's going to be a lot, a lot of good racing, a lot of stuff to discuss. Uh, I, I was you know, didn't really want to look at Saratoga this Saturday because I'm trying to save some bankroll for, uh, I guess I'll be playing on Wednesday. Uh, I don't know if I'll play Tuesday at Churchill, but we'll see. But uh, it's exciting times. I'm going to the backside tomorrow morning to, I think some of the contenders, Oaks and Derby, are going to actually post works tomorrow. So uh, I'm going to check to see who's all back there, kick a couple cans, see what I can stir up and some good information. And All right, so... uh... That wraps up this week. Like I said, please join us next week for more fun and handicapping excitement. And until next time, on behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, this is Clem- I mean, this is CC Broadus. <laughs> and remember, gambling money ain't got no home.